the people who make the longest lasting impact in the change business, those that stick around the longest and are the most effective are those who get a PhD in themselves. Mm. Wow. I never forgot it. Mm. I've uh, seen it be true over and over again. So I think the longest journey we take as human beings uh, is the 18 inches from here to here, from the head to the heart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. My name is Nick Lapara. I'm your host and your friend, and this is my chance to sit down and talk with people who saw something wrong and they gave a damn about it. And today is no exception whatsoever. Today, you get to hear my conversation with my new friend, Miles Adcox, founder and CEO of OnSite. We're going to dive into Miles' story. We're going to talk about how he came to found and begin the work at OnSite. We're gonna talk about why people hide when they're hurting and when there are lots of shitty things going on in their lives instead of seeking help. And we're also gonna explore some really helpful ways to get help and so much more. Wisdom, empathy, and care literally exude from this man. You'll get to hear it as he speaks and as he shares and as he opens up. I know you're going to thoroughly enjoy and learn from this conversation today. So here it is. Here's my conversation with Miles Adcox. Let's go. I'm in the studio in Nashville, Tennessee with Miles Adcox, and I'm so excited for you to meet him today. Miles, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Nick. Absolutely. So here's how we're going to start. A lot of the people won't know much about you, and I'm so excited to be the one to introduce them to you. Let's go way back to the beginning. Tell me your story. And what I mean by that is anything, people, situation, go back as far, as little or as much, just give me the context, give us the context for the kinds of things that made you who you are today. Well, I uh, grew up here in Tennessee, small town, um, very traditional Southern culture, uh, which I think shaped me in some ways, mm. good in, and some things that, that challenged me later on. I grew up in a, a wonderful family um, that also had its challenges. And so there were things that came out of our imperfect system, just like every imperfect family system that exists on the planet that you um, don't realize until later, but that you need to reconcile. Uh, but I didn't realize that until I got in my early 20s. Mm. And so I kind of had a pretty smooth um, – I did experience some difficulties uh, in high school uh, I didn't know what to call it at the time, but I've always been pre-genetically dispositioned generationally to depression, and I had mm-hmm. some of it on board. Uh, but for the most part, high school growing up was amazing. I grew up on a farm, and so I'm very much an outdoors person because it's just my imprint. I just, I absolutely love and adore being outside. And I love being around horses. I've got six of my own. Uh, grew up with them. Uh, they're in my blood. My grandfather was big into horses. So just anything with four legs uh, and outdoors, I love. I was an athlete, played sports. Um, it was kind of all I knew. As a guy growing up, small town in the South, uh, you pretty much were outdoorsmen in sports. We didn't have much in way of an art program or uh, it wasn't at that point very evolved. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until later on that I discovered that a lot of what I loved and did growing up 
uh, would completely transition uh, into uh, it was all that I knew. I didn't know that there was an artist and a creative inside me that mm. didn't get an opportunity or permission to wake up until my early 20s. And it came on the backside of a bit of a crash. Mm. So I experienced um, some pretty significant uh, difficulties in my early 20s, post-undergrad uh, and grad school, and was headed down a lane in the sports industry, um, in the broadcasting lane, and um, and loved it. But then I moved on from the business side of sports. And I was there for about two years before I just kind of ran out of runway. Mm. Um, I was dealing with depression and anxiety and just kind of uh, struggling with my worth, if you will. And all this is relative to where I'm going. That's sure, why I want to yeah. make sure and just get to it quick yeah. because I think it really shaped who I've become today. Yeah. Uh, it was a hard transition and it was a hard period for me to entertain the idea of reaching out for help. I very much was uninformed, uneducated, and a big um, proponent of buying into the stigma of the idea of counseling. Uh, and mm. meaning it was that was never an option until it had to be. And when it had to be, I kind of face planted. Um, I had some bad experiences, but then I had an amazing one. And the right mm. people kind of came around me at the right time. And the guy who had tried to keep it all together for so long finally got an opportunity to be who he really was. Broken parts, good parts. And when I did that, I began to I began this search of reconciling my story. And when I did that, there was a part of me that just, um, it did more than woke up, I think. I certainly woke up to a whole new experience, but I really came alive. I mean, I, I came alive and, and was inspired and knew uh, through my experience of change that I wanted to be involved in the change space. Mm. I, I just knew. And so uh, shortly after my experience, um, I got into the helping profession and have been doing that for the last 15 years. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's a quick that. version. No, that's a, that is a quick version, but that'll give us some context for what's to come. Two notes. One is much lighter, and then the other one is a, an actual question that I need your help on. The one that's lighter is horses. So we love horses as well. So my family and I, our ultimate dream is to move to New York City. We want nothing more than an 800-square-foot apartment in Manhattan, with the exception of one thing in the world, and that is we would love to have horses as well. Mm. Right. And so we've always just joked around like that's our like living situation, like in the middle of the hustle and bustle. We're probably not the same desires at all because we love being outdoors. We much prefer like I want to be in walking, you know, down Broadway and, on, you know, in Manhattan. But the horses, man, horses are something else. They absolutely do something. I've been riding, you know, on and off since I was a kid. And there's nothing there is nothing like seeing a horse There's nothing like touching a horse. There's nothing like being on a horse. Well, I always thought I wanted to live with horses in my backyard, and I okay. don't have that option because I live in Nashville. So we're on an you know acre in West Nashville, yeah. but I do have out on our you know our little ranch where my business onsite is is where my horses are now, and I would probably prefer it, but uh, it works out pretty well. It's an hour from my house, and I get to see them every day. And so I'll say for you, if you, if New York is your dream, their horse country is two hours north of New York City. Saratoga Springs. I mean, it's it's an it's a beautiful place and it's horse country. You just figured it out for us. Yeah, that's what it. we're gonna do. I love it. Weekends, man. I love it. That's right. That's right. So yeah. many people leave the city on the weekends. Maybe yeah. that's maybe that's our thing. That's how we can reconcile it. The next one you mentioned as a part of your story that it got really really bad before you 
cried out for help before you got help. Why Why is that? Because in certain situations, it doesn't seem, and we haven't even gotten to what you do and all that, and I'm very excited to explore that. But that really stuck out to me because it resonates with me. Like, I, I see that. I, for me, it's not depression or anxiety or anything like that. I'm a very, I don't struggle with those things, but I've got my own things. Why is it that we wait so freaking long before, you know, we know this is hurting us, whatever it is. We know we're, we're being hurt it's not good. It's not healthy. But we wait until use the word like face plant. Like we wait until the very end, or maybe after something really, really bad happens. What's going on there? Do you think? I think we get conditioned and programmed in our culture to not talk about certain things, hmm. and one of them are pain points. And I think early on, it's determined even from when we're babies that there are good emotions and bad emotions. Mm. And the truth is all emotions are necessary, Mm. but avoid the bad ones at all costs, anger, fear, sadness. All those are the ones that are wrapped up underneath our pain, regardless of your pain. It could be depression. It could be anything, but we all, nobody, no human being on the planet escapes pain, emotional pain. There are people that will run from it their entire lives. And at some point in everybody's life, something cracks and they experience it. I think if we, if the world had permission to talk about it way earlier, and that's and we'll get to what I do in a minute, yeah. and kind of my my mission in life. Um, but I I think that's it. I just think it's a cultural conditioning thing. It's also shielded with stigma that the idea of looking at your story is what's wrong with you, and it's actually what's right with you. That makes total sense. Super helpful, and I'm excited to explore that more right now. So on site, and milestones at on site. Give us the whole rundown because I think it's hugely important. I know somebody that attended it. Um, and I didn't know you at the time, but so I put two and two together much later on, but I know somebody who attended it was incredibly helped. So yeah, give us the rundown, how you started it, what happened, what's happening, what's going to happen. Well, when I got into the change space, I originally thought I wanted to work in crisis. And so I got trained and certified as a crisis interventionist and worked with people dealing with addictions and suicide ideation and mental health issues. I didn't do that long. Um, I just, I wasn't that good at it, to be honest. I was good at parts of it. I was good at convincing people to get help. Sure. But that's only part of the challenge of intervention or part of um, the job of an interventionist. The rest of it is to make sure that the help is integrated on the back end. Mm. So really great interventionists, and I've got a lot of friends around the country that do that for a living. They're really good what we call case managers. And so they'll follow and stay with somebody for a year as almost like a coach or consultant to make sure they stay with their recovery plan. I was not good with the follow-through. I was mm-hmm. just a front-end guy. So I knew that wasn't my long-time career. But I went from that as a natural transition because I started learning about the rehab space because I was placing a lot of people in it. And I ended up going to work for a uh, a rehab that was doing addiction treatment, uh, eating disorder treatment, and trauma treatment. Arguably, that would be considered the crisis space too, because you're catching people at their worst. You have people who are dealing with mental illness or addiction of some kind. They crash uh, what some people would call a bottom, and they land in your care. And then you've got about 28 days, hopefully if you're a good program, maybe 60 or 90 days, to reconstruct and reconcile their story, get them ready, integrate them, and push them back out into life. It was nothing short of a a miraculous experience Mm. uh, to get to sit with people in, in that kind of pain for one reason only. I would watch people who would come through, arguably at their worst, and when you showed them their best, there was this unique opportunity and I guess there's nothing else to call it but grace, grace at its finest, mm. which is when people don't feel like they deserve it because they do deserve it. And um, there's just nowhere else to go. 
There's nowhere else to hide. You've landed here and you think it can't get any worse. And suddenly you realize this could be the biggest and best and most important opportunity of your life. And for most of them, it was. I was somewhat satisfied with their outcomes. I'm a little bit of a recovering perfectionist. So I, I think we had a long way to go at that time. But what I did see with people who grabbed it is that they would walk out of that experience with more clarity, more relational equity, more grounded and more self-aware than anybody else in our culture. And I thought, our world needs to go to rehab, whether we need it or not. Because really, rehab is not rehab, it's human school. I mean, it's life university. And why don't we get an opportunity to study that in school? Yeah. And so I saw what was happening in the rehab space, and I loved it. But as I said, I was somewhat discouraged with our outcomes because we were limited to who we could reach meaning somebody had to be lucky enough to have a major affliction or life trauma, numb it out and medicate it, crash land, and we get them. But I thought, what about the rest of the people, the walking wounded that are walking around, numbed up uh, or running? So many. And, yeah. That's most of us. It's all mm. of us. And how do you reach them? Another, I just really got obsessed with how you make the door wider. And so I started looking and writing out a plan about transitioning from – the, the crisis space or the rehab space into some other vehicle that would uh, give people permission to take a deeper look at their narrative, the pain parts, what parts weren't working, not call it counseling, therapy, rehab, any of that stuff. I was hoping not to have to use any of that language. And I ended up having to um, as part of getting people in the door. But I wanted to create a seminar business, a workshop business, something. And so I wrote out this plan and I uh, had no uh, idea how to do it. I didn't really have the capital to start it. Uh, but luckily, I ran across a really great business mentor at the time who happened to be a successful guy as a publisher in the self-help book world. And he knew about this little place called Onsite Training and Consulting. And they were doing trainings and some workshops. And they had this retreat center. And hmm. I'd heard about it, but I didn't know a lot about it. And he said, look, I love your vision because I bounced all my ideas off mm -hmm. of him. He said, I don't think you have to recreate the wheel. There are some people that are trying to do this, um, but I think they could use you as much as you could use them. And what he ended up referring to was, so some is to say, um, OnSite has a great legacy that came before me. And then when I came on board um, and acquired it in 2007, uh, you had this great idea without much business acumen to back it. And so there wasn't a lot of balance between mission and margin which I'm sure you've seen that because I know you've consulted a lot in the nonprofit space. Mm -hmm. And the two just don't mm -hmm. work together. Yeah. If you don't have sound. But they were doing uh, uh, some amazing things right. But I came in with um, passion and training on the counseling side, but also experience on the branding and how to run a business. And so uh, I ended up taking what was already an existing brand, and we've, we've taken it a lot of new directions and done a lot of neat stuff with it, but it ended up morphing my dream into an existing dream. And we always had plans to rebrand, but it was in, bought it in 2007, and you know what happened in 2008. A little bit. Jeez. So 2008, 9, 10 were a struggle. Mm. I mean, I thought, what in the hell Worst have time. I done? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I basically thought I've, I've bought a failing business and... Yeah, so I, I was really scared those first three years. It just did, wasn't what I thought I'd signed up for. And we just kept at it. We kept at it. We started with six or seven staff, and and, uh, and then we turned the corner, and we started innovating and creating some new workshops and some new content. We decided to keep the name because we there was enough beauty in the legacy that sure. we thought we don't need to recreate right. that. 
Um, but we've really just built on something that was special, and now it's just really morphed into something beyond my wildest dreams. And I still think we're just getting started, so it's pretty exciting. Yeah, so who are the kinds of people that to come alongside you guys to get some help? We offer two two things. So I've got – so on, I guess I didn't really answer your question about what is on site. No, no, sure, yeah. it's, um, it's an 85-bed retreat center that is a personal growth therapeutic experience. Mm. A lot of that are, are our workshops. We offer workshops throughout the year that are therapeutic in context where people can kind of deep dive on their story. But who would that be for? It would be anybody stuck or struggling in life. Uh, it could be relationally, professionally, personally, going through transition, looking to become more connected. I've got uh, groups now sending me people because they want to raise their EQ as leaders, um, all the way to uh, creative block from songwriters in town that want to come out and do it. So it's everything from a life transition to the wheels falling off. Somebody could be going through a divorce or loss of a job to mental health situations, dealing with anxiety and depression, because we do have master's level therapists that facilitate all of our workshops, but we really try to neutralize uh, the language so that we're not over pathologizing people's process, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then of course you mentioned milestones too, which was another, it's a, a boutique a 20-bed program specific. It's more traditional mental health treatment. It's specific for trauma and depression, anxiety, but it's really long-term uh, small trauma program. And it, it's been, we've been doing it for three years, and it's been incredible. We saw, I saw a deficit when I was in the rehab space because I think there's never been a bigger time in our history and around our culture where more people are in pain, medicated, the opioid crisis is at an all-time high, suicide is at an all-time high, mental health is at an all-time high. So arguably the problem has continued to get worse. And so those of us that have been on the sidelines of saying we're part of the solution aren't doing a very good job if we're not asking ourselves, what do we need to do different? And so I was one of those people in traditional rehab, and I think for our years we were asking the wrong question. We were asking why the addiction when the question should have been why the pain. Mm. When you ask the question, why the pain, it really puts it in context. When you uncover an addiction story, what you find is that most all pathology, and I would define pathology as just resistant to change stuck behavior, is rooted in trauma. So I think as human beings, we're starting to get a greater understanding of how we experience emotional trauma. And guess what? Nobody escapes that either. It impacts everybody's brain differently, but everybody experiences it. So we saw a gap in the market and we're trying to learn. I didn't want to go big first. I wanted to put the best brains on the planet when it comes to trauma practitioners around a small program so we could start treating not the symptom, which is addiction, but treat the pain. And so it's been, it's been a really interesting experience so far. I want to take a quick break to talk about a few amazing people that sponsor this podcast with monthly financial contributions. Want to know who I'm talking about? It's you. Seriously, many of you support the work we are doing on this podcast by contributing monthly on a platform called Patreon. Some give a dollar a month, some give five, some give 10, and some even give $25 a month. And what is so surprising to me is that the largest chunk of people giving give at the $25 level. I'm not even joking. So if you love these stories, consider helping us. No pressure, really. I will always find a way to produce these podcasts, to pay the people involved in making these podcasts because I want you to hear them. But if you have a few extra dollars every month and want to help us make more of these, we will not say no. 
Visit patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn for more info. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash let's give a damn for more info. I wish I could have your whole team in the room to ask them this question, but you're here and Leslie's here as well. But you experience, you see, you get to observe lots of pain, lots of people hurting. Most people can't handle that, right? The equivalent of that is like, I can't spend much time in a hospital. Like when I, my son broke his leg, he's two years old, broke his femur. It was the worst five weeks of my life. That first day in the hospital when they were setting it and had to do all that stuff, I just wept the whole, like I can't be around that in other words. Like that's a very hard place for me to be, people that are there because they're sick, in pain, dying, dead, you know, just all sorts of stuff happening there. Well, you're experiencing that in a different way. These people are very much alive, but lots of pain, lots of, lots of shit going on. So how do you take care of yourself? How do you make sure that that doesn't just ruin you or take you to places that you don't want to go? Well, sometimes it does. Mm. That's the reality of being in the, the helping profession. Or honestly, it doesn't even have to be that. Um, you could, because I've done some consulting too with some international NGOs that are uh, exposed all the time to unthinkable circumstances. And so they're they're constantly dealing with vicarious and secondary trauma, which is basically experiencing trauma from seeing somebody else's. There's no way to avoid not taking that on. There are some things that you can do about it. There was a a mentor of mine early on when I was trying to decide what direction I wanted to go. Did I want to go into traditional psychology and become a private practice person or did I want to do this? And so I was considering and I was asking for consult on education routes and and he said, the people who make the longest lasting impact in the change business, those that stick around the longest and are the most effective, are those who get a PhD in themselves. Mm. Wow. I never forgot it. Mm. I've uh, seen it be true over and over again. So I think the longest journey we take as human beings uh, is the 18 inches from here to here, from the head to the heart. And that's what I want my staff and me to do all the time is that we don't, we don't just have a format where we take people into their pain stories. We have a format where we can be honest and open about our own because I don't believe we truly empathize well with someone who's in pre-contemplative uh, pain about their change process until we've gone back and stood in the unstuck, unsure, uncertain parts of our story. And why would anybody want to do that? Because you're just like every other human being that's probably listening. They're like, hell no, I don't want any part of that. Because yeah. we're not naturally dispositioned to sure. want to go do that. But I think it needs a bit. It's, it's, it's never as scary as it seems until you get there and you get there with the right people, if that makes sense. And then it almost it, there is a reward on the other side of it. Because um, I love your mission too. Like, Why should people give a damn? Well, I think... Uh, Giving a damn means doing good for the world. Doing good for the world is often a hard proposition. So hard. And so how do you get more people to do it? Well, I think we need to rebrand what that looks like because you're going to naturally do things that are pleasurable or that you enjoy, that you stay with. Yeah. And the same goes with uh, looking at the emotions that are hard to look at or standing in with somebody's pain. There's beauty in there too, only if you've done your own work. And I'll say this, I've done a lot of my own work and I still get tired. I still get exhausted. I still get triggered. I still bring more of it home than I would like at times. It still can disconnect me from my family. So it's not a foolproof system, but there are a lot of simple steps you can do to become emotionally fit, which makes you a better leader, I think, in any arena, but especially in the helping profession. Yeah, definitely. What one thing or 
couple things drive you? Like what are the things that get you up in the morning? You're ready to go because of these things. I would say I am dangerously curious mm-hmm. about human beings, what make them tick. I say dangerous. I mean, it's it's a gift and a burden. Sure. No, totally. I get it. Curiosity is paired with in, intuition. I think that's been one of my guests is the ability to have instinct about what people are feeling and what's going on, which also makes me highly sensitive. And so I can take on people's pain across the room before they ever know it. Um, I was a guy that for a long time before I really got in touch with our relationship story that you find somebody wounded in the room, I was going to date them. <laughs> and uh, it took me a long time to really get to a place where, um, you know, I could I could have enough of my health on board that I could be in relationship with a really healthy person, which is what I have now with my wife. And it's mm-hmm. amazing. And I've always been empathetic towards struggle, whether it comes to animals or people or process or politics or church, any of it. I've always been empathetic towards struggle. So curiosity and empathy take me down a lot of roads. Some of them good, some of them probably ahead of their time. This is a little off topic, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it. We're, We're in a very volatile political and societal environment right now. It's not fun in a lot of ways. And I actually don't know where you stand politically, so maybe I'm barking up a wrong tree. But for people like you and me and so many other people that do love people and do want to care for uh, vulnerable, um, hurt, disenfranchised people during this climate, what advice do you have for them, for us? Just how to navigate that super well. There are so many things that are out of our control. But there are so many more things that are in our control, right? It's very easy to get on Twitter and just keyboard warrior our way through the day. And those things we have very little control over, the things we're retweeting and sharing. And I'm guilty of that more times than I would like to admit. But but then there are like a million times more things that we can actually control. The people around us, the situations around us, the people that we get to like, you know, touch and care for and love and so what would you – yeah, what's your advice for somebody that does feel so deeply when, when you see hurt and pain and struggle? There's a lot of that right now. What's your advice for us to just navigate the season well and not lose our freaking cool about everything? <laughs> I don't know if this would be considered advice or if it's just my experience. But sure. I would say do more than being a part of the conversation. Be a part of changing the conversation. That's what I've been trying to do recently, and I I'm, I will self uh, admit that I've not done a very good job at that because I have been. If you know me well, you'll know my causes and you'll know what I love mm-hmm. because I'm outspoken about it. Sure. If you don't know me well, you might look at me as a moderate who's over on the sidelines who has compassion but's not doing anything about it. Um, me, well, not doing anything about it's not fair. Not speaking out enough about it. And so what I want to do, I think it's uh, part of my job and maybe our job is to do things when we don't know what to do. So I want to build tables and chairs that we can sit around and have a conversation that hopefully changes the conversation. We've been doing you know, some of that with our foundation, which is instead of marching forward with this great service that we provide and funneling people through it, it's like, nope, how could we be a part of the solution? And one of the things I'm passionate about right now, and it's obviously on the heels of Charlottesville and the political crime around race, is I think 
um, we have to step up and talk about it. Yeah. And so we're looking at uh, hosting a program, a therapeutic mm. intensive, half leadership of Black Lives Matter, half leadership of Blue Lives Matter, and bring these two communities together, wrap some research around it, and see what you know comes out of putting them into our process. And that's a, a big goal. Will anybody come? I don't know, but we're doing it. We decided yeah. this week we're going to do this and see what happens. So I guess that would be my advice is engage in the conversation yeah. instead of just critique and throwing darts. Figure out how we can be part of the solution. Well, first of all, I'm going to be there. Whenever you do that, I'll sneak in the room. That sounds, well, it sounds horrible on the one hand because it just sounds like this could go super wrong, right? But it can also go super right. And more times than not, it's super right because – when you get off the computer screen, your phone, and you actually like talk to these people, right? On both sides of the conversation, I have so many friends that I've just, just sort of strangled them through the computer screen because of positions they're taking on certain things. But then when we like say, okay, you know what? I'll meet you at in thirty minutes at the at the bar. We're gonna go grab a drink and actually talk about this. Totally different tone. Let's just talk about it. So maybe it will be amazing. I hope it's amazing. Anyway, that's awesome, and that's very helpful too. If I told you that I will snap my fingers and your wildest dreams will come true in terms of on-site and what you dream and hope for the work that you're doing, the ways that you're giving a damn. What would that look like? What's the ultimate dream for what you're doing? I would love human beings across our country and globally to be more self-aware. I do think self-awareness, there's a gap mm. in knowing our, truly knowing ourselves because I think, as Brene Brown said in her new book, people are really hard to hate up close. And we don't really get close to people until we understand and how to get close to ourselves and understand our story. So if we could raise the EQ and the self-awareness and get people more emotionally smart globally, I think we could start to navigate and solve a lot of the problems. I think we've tried spiritual intervention and we've tried practical intervention and we've tried confrontation and we've tried all these things unsuccessfully. We've tried governance. We've tried democracy. We've tried everything except knowing ourselves. Because I think when we know ourselves, we can't help but raise our empathy for the rest of the people around us. And so I do think there's going to become a time in our country, especially in our country, because I think it's evolving pretty well, where people who don't go to counseling, and counseling is not the end all, coaching, counseling, conversations with friends. There's a lot of outlets uh, to get vulnerable about your story. People who don't look at their story and try to take an opportunity to reconcile it will be seen as the ones that are broken and messed up as opposed to the other way around. I think that paradigm is going to shift where that becomes hope so. as normal a part of our existence as anything else we do is education. I mean, it's probably happening now more than ever, which is a good thing, but we still have a long, it's definitely long trending, no doubt, yeah. but it's still largely, uh, you go and do this, uh, if you need it, you go and do this to figure out what's wrong. Versus you go do this because it's what's right. I know some people probably were on their commute when they're listening to this and they're trying to go back to that Brene Brown quote again. What is it again? That was so powerful and short. People are hard to hate up close. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, her. I, w I couldn't recommend her new book more, Braving the Wilderness. I love Brene Brown. Yeah. She's, she's so wise. She's amazing. I was yeah. just with her a couple of days ago. Some and, of that. And, um, oh. So I have to credit her new research and her new book um, with sparking um, me getting into this, you know, starting this new program, frankly, because we've had some good conversations about it recently. But I think it's doing it for a lot of people. I think it's, in, it's an important piece of body of research and a really important book for people to read right now socially who want to give a damn. I love it.
as we begin to wrap up here today, and I've enjoyed our conversation so much, um, I'm so excited. Uh, for those of you um, just listening, you will also hear a few minutes more from Miles because we are going to, in a few weeks, when you see the podcast with Barrett Ward, live interview, we're also going to include a few minutes of uh, what Miles is doing in that. So you hear a little more. Very exciting stuff. Um, I'm thinking of people in my life that I would love, not in like a they need this kind of way, but I'm just thinking of people that as this conversation changes, um, people in my life that could really benefit from, yeah, the care and the intention that you guys are putting into what you're doing. Like I feel, I feel lots of, I feel lots of love. I feel lots of intention and like real care, not, this doesn't feel like, oh, this is something we just got to do to get people healthy. And it just feels very like full of love, which is, I think one of my, um, one of my siblings a few weeks ago, she is one of my, I mean, they're all my favorites. I've, I'm one of 12 kids. Um, so I have a lot of favorites, but one of my siblings came out and we had no idea that for months she had been contemplating taking her life and that she actually tried two times and no one knew about it. And on the third time she decided to get help. And that was, at first it was like, holy shit. Like it was a little dev, like, cause you would never, she was one of the ones that you just look at and like, no, that's, that's not her. That's not happening. And, um, I mean, it was a really like providential, like cool story how the third one was interrupted before it was going to happen. Like minutes, like minutes to spare. Oh, wow. But anyway, I'm just very, these are the kinds of things that we, as you have already said, that we need to talk. Don't wait until you are at your very, very last moment. Like talk about it when, when you need help, when you actually need the help. Right. So before I ask the last couple of questions. I want to take a moment to honor you in the work that you're doing. Um, I try to do this with all my guests, and it's very easy in this situation because I'm really grateful for the way, the ways that you are, um, you responded to uh, whatever you want to call it, a calling. Uh, you responded to things that were happening in your life and decided to spend, I imagine, a good chunk of, the, of your life, maybe the rest of your life, doing this with and for people. Um, so I want to honor the work that you're doing. I know that so many people have been helped, um, lives saved, uh, marriages saved, maybe relationships, uh, redemption in relationships. So many good things are coming out of the work that you and your team are doing. So I'm very grateful for you. Uh, now that we've met, I'm excited to continue just watching it, observing from the sidelines, maybe getting involved in some way. Um, real exciting stuff. So feel honored. I'm excited to keep watching it happen. Thank you. Yeah, I thank you. Thank yeah. you for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get to the very last question, I have a hypothetical question that I'd like to ask you. Someday, for some odd reason, you are going to die, right? Because we all are. For some odd reason, I'm the one giving your eulogy. All of your family, your friends, the people you've helped, There's a, it's a huge, it's a big crowd, and they're all there to honor your life and the work and everything. And again, for some odd reason, I'm the one giving your eulogy. What would you, in a few sentences, what do you hope that I would communicate on that day to the people there celebrating and honoring your life? I think it would be quite simple. I, I think if I could live a life where people experience me as kind, empathetic, compassionate, and somebody driven to make a difference, that'd be a pretty good life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that would be a really great legacy. I hope that happens. It's already happening. I hope that continues to happen. 
you know, we've done 30, 35 minutes here today. I want people to continue to find out more about what you're doing and who you are. If people leave this podcast, they're really excited about what Miles and Onsite are doing. What do you want them to go look at? What do you want them to know? What's coming up? What's going on? You know, you earlier, when you were describing your perception of the experience, I did feel honored. And I felt honored because you didn't talk about I didn't set up something or be a part of something to... We're not about therapizing people. We're really about loving people mm. and loving people well. And nobody's going to come take the risk of looking at the painful parts of their stories unless we have a job of curating experience that is engaging and interesting, that you walk out the other side and don't feel like you've been beat up on, but you feel like you've been enriched and renewed. And we spend as much time curating experience, regardless of the workshop or the treatment experience, we, we curate the experience and we love people well. We meet people where they are. So that you walk into this and you've got a guide. You don't have somebody trying to push or pull you where we think you need to go because we've all been there, which is the, that's the beauty of it. The one thing I will brag on is what's happening with our, the foundation side of our work because that's something I do not shy away from selling at all because I'm so excited about it. I think we're on the forefront with a, a small organization with a huge reach mm. of solving some of these cultural problems because I do think we need emotional wellness at the table. And I don't think there's a lot of people in core leadership right now delivering it. So we've got this great, um, amazing little group that are starting to find vulnerable populations and put some of the brightest minds in the change of business around them and see what happens when we have them for a week. So for example, we just took 40 combat veterans for free through a seven day trauma intensive. Wow. I'm telling you, it was mind blowing the outcomes that we saw. And we've researched it and we're going to report those and hopefully write a paper up but that, that could be useful with all the great organizations that are trying to help there, the VAs and the wounded warriors. And we're working with um, first responders right now who experience a tremendous amount of trauma. I told you earlier about the, uh, the Black and Blue Lives Matter group that we're setting out. We've also got a new program that we're doing for free called Life After Loss. And it's for parents uh, who've uh, lost a kid. And that's a, a misunderstand vulnerable population that don't have a lot of resources and we haven't found a solution for. So we're planning, a, we've got a beautiful campus out at Onsite. We're on 100 acres and it's gorgeous. And I can't wait for you to come out and see it and just have lunch to. with me. But we're, we've got this great spot on a hill where we're starting a grove. And it's going to be called Ryan's Grove after a really good friend of mine who lost his son named Ryan. And all the parents that come through this, this grief program um, we're going to have, we're, they're going to get a tree upon graduation in honor of the kid that they lost. Mm. They're going to be able to plant it in Ryan's Grove, which is going to become a living sanctuary that they'll be able to come back and visit. And so we're hoping to just take areas of need like grief and, and veterans and first responders and race and put bright minds around them and, and make a difference. And then spread that. That's what we hope to do. And we're doing that through the Onsite Foundation, which we got an event coming up in a month uh, that the music community and the creative community uh, have really wrapped around. Um, Kenny Chesney's coming to play. And so I think we've still got two or three tables left and some tickets. So I, you can go on the Onsite Foundation to find that. We'd love for you to come join us and hear more about what we're doing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. On, online, where are you guys? Social media, uh, website and all that, just in case. I guess they can probably just go... They can Google on-site and they'll find it. Yeah, most likely. But I think it's at on-site workshops is most of it. And okay. then I, I'm at Miles Adcox. Perfect. Perfect. Miles, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's do it again soon. You got it. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Do 
Dear friends, thank you so much for joining Miles and me for our conversation today. I hope you learned from what Miles had to share. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And I hope that you will find ways to get help if you're hurting today, that you will seek out people to get help from. Don't hide, get out in the open. We all need each other. And I hope Miles conveyed that in so many ways today. Follow up with the work they're doing onsiteworkshops.com. You can also follow Miles at Miles Adcox and milesadcox.com. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and obviously online. He's doing great work. There's so much more to come. So keep up with the work he's doing. You can follow me at Nick LaPara. You can follow Let's Give a Damn at Let's Give a Damn everywhere. I would love to keep up with you, engage with you, chat with you on those platforms. And if you would like to see us continue to make these podcasts for a long time to come, here are a few ways you can help. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That would be amazing. You should also tell a friend that they should listen, share an episode, this episode on social media, or you can send a few dollars a month our way by going to patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash let's give a damn. And you can give at the giving level of your choice. Those are just a few ways you can help. We would love and appreciate your contribution in those ways. That's all for this week. I hope you're having fun. Hope you're learning a lot. Go give some dams this week, my friends. I love you. Can't wait to hang out with you next week. Bye for now.